The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? On that day. How to dream, cowboys. Welcome back, everybody. It's the HBO Boys Podcast. We are about to recap and review the series finale of Lovecraft Country. As far as I know, this is written by Misha Green. And directed by Nelson McCormick. And I'm James, and that was Ryan. And this is the full circle. See, I keep saying series. Dude, you are having a tough time, man. It's the season, it's the series finale. It's over. The show's over, It's done. Yes, it is completely over. Uh, If they do say that they're having a season two, what are they even going to do? Like, it's very different the show that is from the book people die in the show that don't die in the book and season two would be pretty difficult because they were just like main characters who needs them let's send them into the afterlife so we were talking about it earlier about you know this show and raised by wolves and how raised by wolves did not really stick the landing According to our point of view, at least. If by earlier you mean we've been talking about this on the podcast for the last five weeks on both podcasts, we have like 10 hours of recorded content putting Raised by Wolves up against Lovecraft Country and living in Naysay City for both of them. Continue. But Raised by Wolves uh, certainly had a harder job to do and, 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 and my estimation fucked it up anyway. Lovecraft Country... Not as as bizarre and 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 crazy as the premise or the ending of Raised by Wolves. They just kind of had to wrap up the serialized plotline, which is basically what they spent the whole episode doing. And you know, I I I I, it, I didn't think it was amazing, nor did I think that it was bad. I thought it was pretty good, a little bit rushed, but I, you know, I assume we'll get into it. Did you think the best episode of Raised by Wolves, which I assume you would say is the pilot, was better mm-hmm. than any of the episodes from Lovecraft Country? Uh, hard to say. Because my favorite Lovecraft Country episode, personally, is the one with Jiha in Korea. That's my favorite yeah, one. Yeah, that's a good one. And I would say I put it up against the pilot for Raised by Wolves. And I think the pilot for Raised by Wolves is better. As an overall piece of entertainment, I would pick Raised by Wolves pilot. But I would not pick any other Raised by Wolves episode, 2 through 10, that are over Jiha's episode or over the Letty in her house vignette episode. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting, I think, if we did like 20 episode rank, full rank. Comparison, right. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, the weakest episode of Lovecraft Country is is probably episode three and and the weakest episode of raised by wolves it's hard to identify because they all kind of blur together to me right (laughs) 
Listen, it's yes, it's not a hard jump to make saying that Lovecraft Country is a overall better show, or at least it is. the first season is a better <laughs> like season of television because it is. You said see, episode three was the worst Lovecraft Country episode. Which one was that? That's the the like the uncharted treasure hunt. Goddamn episode. national treasure bullshit. I agree. Yeah. I hated that. <laughs> But yeah, like you said, and like we've been saying for goddamn forever, and I'm sure it's incredibly still entertaining to listen to, it was going to be easier for Lovecraft to nail the landing, and I wanted them to. I wanted them to so badly. And maybe there are some people out there, to be fair, there are some people out there, some publicly, who got angry with us on the internet who thought that they nailed the ending and not and thought that they nailed Raised by Wolves, which we disagreed with. And I'm sure there's someone out there who watched the finale of Lovecraft Country and was like, they have done it. They did an amazing job. Lovecraft Country, 100%. But... I don't know. Like, I don't want to be a naysayer anymore, James. I just want to like things. The director of the finale goes by the name Nelson McCormick, and he's directed a lot of different shows. He's done ER, Prison Break 24, The West Wing, Criminal Minds, which is my wife's favorite show. Wait, 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 Uh, wait, wait, wait. The West Wing, which recently, by mm -hmm. the way, had an HBO special on HBO Max, which I know that Mm -hmm. you can watch because you use my account, and you should. Mm -hmm. Because it was amazing. Which episode of the West Wing did he do? And what season uh, was it in? It doesn't say how many or, or which one. And then also he directed Netflix Daredevil, which was an okay show. I, th- I thought it was a little overrated, but still liked it. What was Nelson's last name? McCormick. I mean, there's a link to his IMDb page from... Uh, oh, yeah. No, I'm, uh, I'm already there, but I must know <laughs> what episodes of West Wing he did. And in what season they were in. It's important. His episodes were entitled Transition and Things Fall Apart. Ah, yes. Season 6 and Season 7. Post-Sorkin, as I suspected. Before we get into the recap, guys, just a reminder, we have a Patreon. You can get bonus content there. You can chat with Ryan and I in there. You can get your name shouted out at the end of the show over there. So check that out. If you want to, it's just a dollar or even more than a dollar if 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 that's your thing. <laughs> if that's your fetish to give us more than a dollar, we're yeah, very If you want to be fin-dommed by Ryan and I, we <laughs> could do that. <laughs> yeah, that's a $10 tier actually. That's the only benefit you get from it, but uh, I mean, I mean <laughs> pretty good. The finale picks up right where episode 9 left off. They rush D home, I guess, like all the way across state lines from where the, the portal happened, right? I, well, they, did, they, they took D there, right? She was there, or did she stay home for that? She was there, she was laying okay. down, and she was turning into Topsy and or Bopsy. I believe those are the names, and slowly but surely, and as they carry her in, she once more is about to be full transformed into one of those characters and her mother Hippolyta still has blue hair because she is a comic book superhero slash time lord and Tick and Montrose and Letty are there but who cares D is dying who cares about them Letty and Tick begin to cast the spell but they pass out and they both enter into a vision Tick enters a vision of the burning home where he meets Hannah his ancestor who stole the book of names, Letty gets sent back to a vision of the burning house in Tulsa, 
which I mean timeline was she was basically just here a few hours ago. Now she's back. Are you ready for an exposition dump? So where they are now is like a liminal space between realities that Hannah Tick's ancestor created when she first used the Book of Names and it houses the spirits of everyone in Tick's bloodline. Sure. Hannah tells Tick that the fire that burned the lodge was actually a manifestation of her own magical abilities and that she can control this inherent magic of hers and so can Tick. And then she drops the bomb on him that actually he will need to sacrifice his life if he wants to save his family and preserve their bloodline. Which shouldn't be that much of a bomb. Jiha literally told him that. Right, and he read a whole book about it. So Hannah in that moment says that her powers are basically that of Selma Blair's in Hellboy. So Right, and I thought Tick was going to be like shooting fire from his hands at some point in this episode. Yeah, there were no fireballs, and the episode was worse for it. Letty meets with Tick's great-grandmother, and she tells Letty that together they need to uncover the secrets of the Book of Names, many secrets that Hannah was unwilling to pursue. And meanwhile, Tick is visited by the soul of his mother again. Like, does his mother, does the character have a name? It's Tick's mother. Tick's mom. Okay. <laughs> They have a tearful reunion, and she tells him that he needs to embrace his destiny and sacrifice himself to become the hero that he was always meant to be. A lot of pressure on him. And perhaps we take this moment to say, I have claimed in the past that there is nothing that the character of Atticus Freeman, that's his last name, right? Mm -hmm. Freeman. Atticus Freeman can do to redeem himself. He has been a jerk to most of the other cast at least once. He is a war criminal, and even if he feels bad for it, that doesn't mean that he didn't help people pull teeth out of other people's head and or shoot innocents. And also, more, even more so than that, like, there shouldn't be a more so than that. But it's just like he's been mean to everyone, and you're allowed to be mean to Montrose every now and again because he's a terrible drunk and he beat you your entire childhood. That's fine, except for the 8,000th time when you reconcile over, like, it's just like, okay, I'm a bit over it. But you get to the end of that, and you're like, I just don't think there is anything that can happen to Tick that will fully redeem him. And the writers are like, well, we're going to throw everything possible at you, and we're going to change your mind. And as it was happening, I was like, oh, no, you won't. <laughs> they go to find Letty being guided by the great-grandmother through the Book of Names. Together, the four of them stand around the bed where Dee is lying in the real world, and they cast a spell that lifts the curse, after which Tick and Letty wake up, and Dee is roused to consciousness as well, but she is horrified when she sees that her left arm, which is her primary hand, is all withered and scarred. I have terrible news, James. Mm -hmm. Her name is Dora Freeman. Oh, she had? Well, I'm glad she has a name, because they didn't say it in the show. I'm sure they said it in the show. We are just not as astute as we as we should be. But, you know, you know, swipe or no swiping, her name was Dora, so. Tick tells everyone else that they need to allow the ceremony to go through. And, and, and this is a little unclear, but... So they want Christina to do her ceremony, so that when she's doing it, I guess there will be, like, what, a lot of magic and energy in the ether, which then they can use instead of her. Later on in the show, Christina describes it as hijacking her spell, which I guess I understand that. It's just not explained that well, I don't think. 
Listen, James, it doesn't matter, mm -hmm. okay? They have the Book of Names now. Perhaps the most powerful tome in existence. So they're immortal. They have every spell that's ever existed, probably, and nothing bad can happen to them. How could it? They have the Book of Names. What they're going to do is take the magical energy that they're going to let Christina harness it from the equinox and the full moon or whatever, and then rebound it back on her to bind her magic ability, right? So that's their counter plan. Sure. To do this, though, they need, like, you know, some some parts of Christina and some parts of Titus for their spell that they're planning. So they go out of the basement. We see the Tix monster is there, like, trying to get out from the sub-basement. He's like, chill, Fido. Just relax. You can eat more police later on. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's a show goth that can definitely break through the thin wooden door, but uh, Tick is there to lull it back to sleep like it is Fluffy, the three-headed dog in Harry Potter, because Lovecraft Country is basically just Harry Potter sans white people, except for Voldemort is still here, and honestly, I apologize for saying his name. I'm no I know you're not supposed to. They use the elevator to take it back down to the caverns, the same ones which, you know, you can use to fast travel around the nation. They head to the center of the catacombs, and using salt and Tick's blood, they create a magic circle, and they speak some high Valerian, and they summon the spirits of Titus and Hannah. Titus shows up. He unceremoniously just starts dropping the hard N-word over and over again. So you get a general vibe as to who Titus was. Not cool, basically. And he played McLean in Westworld? Who's McLean in Westworld? Yeah, I don't remember anyone named McLean. But he was and, there. And, and for all I know, you and I were in season one recording this podcast. Like, dude, how dope is McLean, man? No, no, Ooh. no. It was season three, episode eight. And I still have no idea where he's from. All I know is that he is a very convincing racist. They need to take hold of him to cut off a piece of his flesh for their spell. But he, like, kind of smacks tick and then tick's foot breaks the magic circle and so he's able to teleport out and he gets to christina and he causes christina and ruby to crash their car but very quickly he's like hey by the way the good guys have the book go get him that's not the words he used but that's the the message he conveyed right the general gist and in this moment, what I took away from this scene was when Christina and Ruby's car ran into a, a telephone pole of sorts, Christina ran to Ruby, truly worried about Ruby's well-being. And I was like, wow, oh my gosh, I was wrong. Christina and Ruby, I shall ship it forever. A love that will never die and nothing will get between them. Yeah, I also was pretty into like Ruby slash Christina. And, and and I was really hoping they were going to make it work. No, they did make it work, James. It's okay. Have you ever watched Avatar The Last Airbender, James? Mm-hmm. Do you know that, you know, there's that capital city? This is some uh, Avatar The Last Airbender inside baseball. Yeah, you're not talking about actually the this, this sequel series, The Legend of Korra. The, no, I am not. I, I, am, I am speaking okay. of the original series, Avatar The oh, Last yeah. Airbender. And in the capital city of the Earth Nation... Bossing say. Yeah, Bossing say. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. They don't believe, or they're delusional, really, of things that go on outside of their city. And there's a lake called Lake Laogai 
outside Bossingsay where it's really just like a secret stronghold for the Bossingsay CIA where they just bring people down there and they wipe their minds. So they have sayings like there is no Lake Lao guy. There is no nothing bad happening outside of Bossingsay. And it's the way they reference the movie that never happened. I don't know if you know this, but M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong made an Avatar The Last Airbender movie, but he didn't. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like there is no Highlander 2. There is, but there isn't. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a portion of entertainment you can gladly forget and assume actually never happened. And the Avatar The Last Airbender movie was so bad that the fandom has just deemed it non-existent in Vossing say ruby and christine are still together that's correct and ruby and christine are still together in my erotic fan fiction which you can find on fanfiction.net i don't want to give away my pen name but go look for it you'll find it <laughs> well hard strongman is my favorite author personally and i know that's not you but <laughs> wink wink nudge nudge but as i lengthily explained and you mentioned right there in my actual reality nothing bad happens to ruby and christina the heroes with an incantation are able to drag the spirit of titus back into the catacombs and with the help of mom and great grandma spirits who are now here too tick is able to tackle him and cut out, like, just, like, I don't know, like, a piece of his skin? Yeah. Later on, you see what he cut out, and it just looks like a side of beef. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a filet. It's a filet beef With the ritual successfully completed, they dispel Titus's ghost's corpse, and then also the, the spirits of Tick's ancestors once and for all, question mark? It's, they, they act like it's a final thing, but could they not just go back to that spirit realm and see them again? I don't know. No, James. It's not explained. Dead. They're dead, okay. and they will never come back. This is used they, all they were of already power. Dead. That's true. They're dead again, <laughs> but this time for real. At home, Hippolyta attempts to console a despondent D, and and I love this. She goes on to tell D, like D, I had all these awesome, incredible adventures while you were getting terrorized by ghosts. Doesn't that make it better? Yeah, I was a time lord while you lost your arm and best friend. Isn't that neat? Yeah, Dee's not impressed. She's still upset by the end of that scene. Down at the travel agency, Tick and Letty and Montrose are making battle plans for how to get at Christine. They need a piece of her as well for their spell. Letty wants to use Ruby as kind of an inside man, but Montrose is like, no, we can't trust her. Which, by the way, makes a whole bunch of sense. At this point, Ruby has made it very clear she is Team Christina. And also, by the way, I kind of am too, because Team Tick sucks. I don't want to be on Team Tick. Christine arrives and offers them a deal. Give me the book of names and I will leave you all in peace. And I won't need Tick to do my ritual anymore. And and Tick says no. And I was like, yeah, well, I would have said no too. This isn't a great deal. Why don't you sweeten the pot a little bit more? If we want to make a deal, it's like, Okay, we'll give you the book, you don't kill us, and we want $10 million cash. Right, but there was no negotiation to be had. Tick was basically just like, nope, how about you fuck yourself over my dead body Will you get this book? Or, Christine, you know, try a second thing. Maybe then ask nicely, can we please share the book a little bit? Like, <laughs> Can I just, like, make a few photocopies of the pages that I need? Or all the pages. Let's just copy the book. Move into Chicago full time and and build a relationship with your distant relatives and show them that you're not 
you know, a, a, a evilly intentioned person and maybe make nice with them and then they'll let you use the book sometimes. Yes, those are all very logical, James, but none of that gets them to Artem and puts Tick up on a cross. So it can't happen. Okay. Angered, Christina leaves the travel agency and she takes Letty's invulnerability with her. Gotcha, bitch. Across town, Tick goes to a hotel to apologize to Gia. She's feeling very conflicted about strong human emotions that she had, but then when her mother died, she lost them. Tick said that that's a natural part of grieving, and it proves that you are human, and I want to be here for you, and I still think about what you said when you said that we're both monsters, but we can choose redemption if we want to, and and I still want to do that with you. I'm... uh... I think you're supposed to believe him here. I think the point is that he, according to the creator of the show, he's telling the truth. You're supposed to believe him. This is supposed to be a part of the Tick Redemption Tour. But I didn't at all. It felt like he was using her. It felt like he needed her for something. And after abusing her, after helping kill her best friend, after leaving her in the lurch, to be fair, after she kind of nine-tail foxed, almost murdered him during intercourse, which is hard to get over and a weird thing. I, I understand that it's like it's not an easy moment in time to move past, but still... He's been a general jerk to her this entire time, and then he just, like, came to his senses after yelling at her and blaming her for all of this at the table last episode, and she's just like, that makes sense, I'm on Team Tick now, because Tick is great, and I still love him, and I'll do anything for Tick, and Tick is like, perfect, because, I I mean, I'm not, I don't love you still, Uh, I I don't know if I ever did, and also, I love Letty, and I have an incoming child, but I do need a Kamiho on my side. And so I'm very, very sorry. And I was just over here like, I don't fucking believe you. The next day, Ruby and Letty are laying flowers on their mother's grave. It might be her birthday or the anniversary of her death or something like that. Letty confesses that the reason she missed her mother's funeral is because she was in jail and she was ashamed of that fact. And so she didn't want to tell Ruby. But part of her does not even regret missing the funeral because their mother was never truly a person who treated them like family anyway, not like the way that they treat one another as close sisters. And, you know, she uses that as an opening to be like, hey, will you betray Christina and and get a piece of her flesh for our counterspell? To which Ruby is not hot on the opportunity and says to Letty, this feels like a transactional relationship once more. And I'm not going to do that. And in retrospect, this scene is now incredibly tragic as it ends up being the last time Ruby and Letty actually talk to each other for their entire lives. And it is not cordial. Ruby's like, your definition of family is, is fucked up and conditional and I don't agree. And then she goes to leave and and Letty's like, wait, there's something else you need to know. And then we don't ever find out what Letty told her. But whatever it was, it changed her mind. You think it would be important for the audience to know. It's kind of a bit of a cop out that we never find out what was discussed next. Yeah, at the end of that scene, the showrunner walks on screen into the dead center of the graveyard and just puts the middle finger up at the camera. They stay <laughs> on her for 20 whole minutes, which I thought was bold, but, you know... It didn't make a lot of sense because fuck us, right? In her room, Dee finds a professional-looking version of her science fiction comic. Turns out Hippolyta made it, 
and she wants to teach D how to draw just like her, which D says is now impossible because <laughs> her left hand has been crippled. Bitch, I ain't got no arm. The fuck? Hippolyta says that you will draw again, and she brings her to another room where she has some kind of neato invention waiting for her. I believe it's the orrery, isn't it? We don't get to see it, but the point is, Dean, listen, I know you got some withered ass ent arm, but I'm a time lord now, okay? We're going to go into the future and we're going to fix this shit. Ruby visits Christina down in the lab where she's working on her final spell. They also get to talking about the transformation potion. And the reason that Christina has William on life support is that she needs a fresh supply of his blood to mix with her blood. And that's how she makes the potion. And so now Ruby knows like, oh, there's a vial of Christina's blood in a tiny little bit in that vial. Okay. Christina goes on to express doubts that her plan will succeed, and Ruby encourages her, and then they make out, but not as William and Ruby, but as Christina and Ruby. Yes, as actual, real-life, and in-person lesbians. Again, a scene that makes you think, huh, you know... There's something real here. Yeah, and I <laughs> and I don't know if it's going to quell or change the mind of Christina. In fact, I don't think it is at all. She's been very straightforward with exactly what she wants from the very but beginning. I mean, hey, Christina, you're a young woman. Immortality can wait. There will be another autumnal equinox next year. And perhaps it was worth the wait if her love for Ruby was real enough, as Ruby looks down and sees a vial that she can just snatch up, which was odd to me, because she just told Letty no, but apparently the secret thing had changed her mind, and then I was like, okay, so Ruby's going to snatch that vial up, and she's going to be helpful, and she's going to be a part of the fellowship of the Book of Names, but at the same time, Christina and her are going to have a kind of thing, and as Tick is like hanging up there, Ruby and her are going to have a meaningful conversation that has character development for both of them, and it's going to heavily affect the story and probably maybe distract Christina and lead to her eventual death, which Ruby will be conflicted, happy, and sad about. Oh, man, what a great ending that will be. Yeah, or not. Fuck! (laughs) (laughs) In the next scene, Letty takes Tick to get baptized, and he doesn't really seem into it, but she's excited. Letty says that she has faith that God will protect them and their baby and that everything's going to be fine. Tick says he doesn't really believe that, but he seems comforted, you know, by the thought that Letty takes comfort in this. Yeah. Letty's like, don't worry. God is going to make sure that, that you survive the end of the show. And Tick's like, mm, yeah. Totally. <laughs> I mean, I read a book written by our son, and I don't, but I'm glad you think that. The whole family, including Gia, load up old Woody to head to Artem. But before they go, Ruby brings them a vial of Christina's blood, and she also agrees to join them. And my axe, and my bow, and my vial. They spend a nice time driving to Massachusetts and sing along with the radio, and even the cranky Montrose sings along at the end. The song that they're singing is a callback from episode one, it's the song that Ruby claims is boring, and it's called Life is But a Dream, and she says she doesn't want to sing that stupid song in episode one. So nine episodes later, she's either changed her mind, or something stupid has fucking happened. I liked this scene, because it was a nice touch. I think a lot of shows, you're just supposed to take it for granted, that uh, you know, and then the characters got there, right? 
But you you could very easily, if something like this weren't on screen, imagine like, oh, this is maybe going to be a kind of an awkward car ride. But then we see that it's not really. I liked that. I did as well. The end sours it a little bit for me, as I just mentioned. But I agree. It provided some levity in an episode that desperately needed it. Also, in that Jiha scene where her and Tick meet, a guy sits down at Jiha's table, at which point she says something in Korean to him, and he goes, what? And then she goes, would you die to fuck me? (laughs) And I was like, oh, Jiha's a great character. She's much better than everybody. In the woods outside Artem, Tick consumes a piece of the flesh he took from Titus and a drop of Christina's blood. Gross. Yeah, probably didn't taste good. And -hmm. then he and Montrose start making an enormous magic circle, like they're surrounding the whole town. Yeah, it it felt like Montrose was just like Hansel and Gretling this shit. It'd be a lot of salt, man. Yeah, and he only had like one box of salt in his hands. It's like, where's your goddamn backpack full of salt? Whatever. In the ruins of the lodge, Christina has prepared a sacrificial altar. As Tick enters, he's surrounded by all of the Artem villagers. Meanwhile, atop the stone tower in the village, Letty and Ruby are working to prepare the binding spell. When it's time to go, Ruby starts to act strangely and begins speaking in a stilted and detached way because it's actually Christina and Ruby is dead. Bullshit. This is... Oh my... Okay. (laughs) And the soundboard is back. Okay. (laughs) You really... That was a long con using that. Wow. Okay. So yes, Ruby has an off-screen death. Christina Mm -hmm. found that she was stealing the vial. And even though Christina loved her, she would not let Ruby get in her way and murders her for a goddamn Stannis Baratheon-esque death that we get a flashback kind of of Ruby laying in one of the beds that William and the woman that Ruby turned into as well. So Ruby's fucking dead. And it is so not satisfying. Right, Ruby was my favorite character. Right. <laughs> and and, and uh, I think they, they kind of did her dirty in the end. And you know that scenario I described earlier? One where Ruby was a part of the actual fellowship and lent herself Mm -hmm. to the end of the story and affected Christina in a way that was not superficial, which is about to happen. Ruby slash Christina pushes a pregnant Letty out of a gigantic goddamn tower, at which point Letty lands and is almost definitely murdered, except for the fact that Christina gives her the immortality spell back, the Mark of Cain, which makes her not die, and that's supposed to be like... I loved Ruby, and this is the one nice thing I'll do for you, because Ruby said I couldn't hurt you, and I can't have you, like, messing up my shit with Tick over here, but I'm not going to let you die because of Ruby. And I was like, who gives a shit? You already killed Ruby, making Letty and Ruby's last discussion a transactional one again. Right. Well, what she should have done back when Ruby was like, please don't hurt Letty. She was like, please don't hurt Letty or me. Haha, <laughs> gotcha. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. If she had just said those extra few words, she would have saved her own life. Anyway, this was the least satisfying plot point that happened in the entire series. And it almost, if not for sure, I, I, I can't, I still don't know how I feel fully. I think it might have single-handedly ruined the finale for me. 
Meanwhile, having just finished the magic circle of salt, Montrose, Hippolyta, and Gia are attacked by the villagers, and all of them get restrained. And I was thinking, like, don't Hippolyta and Gia have some kind of, like, you know, supernatural abilities that might be good against a crowd of normies? Like, no? Don't they have the Book of Names? Shouldn't they be some of the most powerful wizards to ever exist due to having the Book of Names? Christina Ruby and Letty have a pretty brutal fight on top of the tower, which ends with Christina throwing Letty off the tower and her falling and 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 dying and i just thought well i thought that that falling and hitting the ground is very visceral it was well shot yes it was a lot like when bran fell from the tower in season one they shot it in a very similar way except for the fact that they didn't show bran hitting the ground they showed letty hit the ground and she slammed into that shit and you're like oh all of her bones are crushed fuck letty is dead but i didn't for one moment think she was gonna stay dead in the trunk of Old Woody, Dee is reading the paperback version of Lovecraft Country, but from the car, she can see some of Christina's monsters running around in the night. The Shogoths from episode one are back, but it's gonna be okay, okay? She has a Shogoth bodyguard who is bigger and meaner than these Shogoths, so it's a Shogoth off. Christina arrives at the altar and basically declares victory. She's like, haha, your plan to defy me was pretty good, but unfortunately, you tried to get Ruby in on it, and I was able to catch her out, and it gave away your whole plan. And then everyone, all the main characters and the villagers are brought to the ceremony and the moon reaches its zenith in the sky. Meanwhile, Dee is being attacked by a monster, rips the door off old Woody, but then Tick's pet black monster arrives and saves her. So we should say that the evil monsters are kind of fleshy pink and Tick's monster's black. That's how you can tell them apart. Mm, they're the same species, but different races. Is that a little on the nose for you, champs? Yeah, maybe cut that line. <laughs> <laughs> no. Christina begins slashing Tick and drinking his blood, and then his, like, ethereal life force seems to drain out of him and flow into her. Letty arrives because she's not dead because Christina put the vulnerability spell back on her to keep her promise to Ruby, I guess. But with the ritual complete, Tick dies, and supposedly Christina becomes immortal. That's when, suddenly... Letty runs up and stabs Christina with a sword and begins encanting a spell which opens up a swirling black vortex behind them. So before Tick dies, which by the way, when she slashed both of his wrists, I was like, oof, oh, that is down the road too. That is some real shit. He is not coming back from that. And it was like, oh, okay, Tick is really dead. And I felt nothing. And then from afar, Letty sees him and they say, I love you to each other, or they like mouth it. And that's the end of their relationship. They both kind of know going into this that Tick is going to die. Bummer for Letty. Don't really care about it from Tick's point of view because he is irredeemable. And then, as you said, the black portal opens up behind them. Jiha sees it and is like, oh, this is my shit. Yeah, Hippolyta says, like, oh, we need to connect everyone's body or or the spell won't work. <laughs> and so... And Gia's like, oh my god, I have, like, nine tails. This is gonna be perfect. I've got tentacles for this exact situation. So she, Gia jumps into the vortex and uses her tails to pull Christina and Tick together. In the vortex, a dark sphere covers the landscape like the beginning of Akira and it consumes the whole setting. And when the darkness recedes, Christina is crushed under some debris. She's trying to speak an incantation, but her magic isn't working any longer. And this is all part of the plan. They used a binding spell 
to take away not just Christina's magic, but to take away the magic of all white people in the world so that evil racist cults can no longer use magic against the oppressed people of the world. Right. So the minorities are now the only magic users available. And Christina, who was previously immortal, doesn't have magic anymore because she is a white lady. So she worked a whole lot putting together this very intricate plan and is just kind of crushed under rubble rather than being immortal. Jihad does not sacrifice herself in any way. She's just useful because she has tentacles, as you recently mentioned. So we have said multiple times we thought that Jihad was going to die in this final episode. Right, and Montrose, too. Right, we thought she was going to sacrifice herself, as was Montrose, for Tick's life, and he wasn't going to die, because I didn't think he was. I just thought, like, again, killing an irredeemable character to try to redeem him is a waste of time and effort to me. It's just inefficient and not satisfying, which is how I felt when it happened. They didn't go full Hollywood ending, which would have been like, you know, one of the other main characters would have died, so to Tick and Letty could live happily ever after. So I give him a little bit of credit for that. I don't. I honestly would have been better or would have been more satisfied with that ending, where Jiha and or Montrose dies for Tick and Letty to be together forever. And then the book he has in his back pocket changes, like the cover changes or something like they change the future. And plus also perhaps this moment would have been better if Ruby had any positive impact on it, but her off-screen death was also equally, if not more, unsatisfying. You know, Tick dying in the place where his very possible father did was slightly poetic. And uh, I'm ready for summary talk. It's not over yet, but I'm ready for summary talk. I want to I wanna start blasting. Montrose tries to wake Tick. He's the only one who wasn't in on the actually we are going to sacrifice me plan because he would not have allowed it. Hippolyta gives him a letter where Tick says goodbye and, and for one last time reconciles with his dad so many goddamn times again the stinger at the end of the episode is d and tick's monster find christina like still alive crushed to the same debris christina begs for her life and d says like you still don't get it do you and removes a cloak to reveal that she has like a pretty badass like full metal alchemist auto male robot arm which she completely out of character then uses to tear christina's throat out yes it was completely out of character but still for me the best part of the finale because you don't let the bad guy live she's watched enough movies she's read enough comic books right she's seen dragon ball z she's like you should not let the bad guy go it always comes back to bite you in the ass right so she robot arms and rips out christina's larynx and she is dead and the shogoth in the background howls at the moon and it is a cinematic moment the best moment i would say for me personally in a finale that comma dot 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 the race by wolves finale sucked because it didn't live up as did the rest of the season didn't live up to the pilot which was so so good the lovecraft country finale for me wasn't good because it didn't live up to the best moments. Like, it, I believe finales should be the best episodes of series. 
I don't know. For like, it just they lend themselves to that. Their climaxes, they're wrapping up storylines, and if they the wrapping up of said storylines are satisfying, I think they should be the best episodes of series. And I think there were two episodes that were better than this finale, and I think there were moments in this finale that were one out of character two unsatisfying and three just maddening so like i was i I was angry at the entirety of raised by wolves because it had a chance at the beginning to be something great lovecraft country is a better show by far and they had like two or three things in the finale that if different i think you would have gotten to the end and been like okay yeah right on yeah good good show good show solid show for me not better than watchmen for me not better than perry mason definitely better than raised by wolves and definitely better than westworld season three but there were like a few things i just i can't get over what do you think i liked lovecraft country a lot i think there are a lot of really good episodes there's a couple misses the missed episodes would probably be two and four and ten for me are the only episodes that did not really hit and I don't think that there is anything especially wrong with the finale other than the fact that, like, it's pretty rushed. And if this had been two episodes, kind of like how the first two episodes worked together. Yes. If if the if this had been a two-parter, I know everything needs to be ten episodes these days, but hey, let's be like Spinal Tap and turn it up to eleven and finish this out, you know, with some breathing room, with some more character moments, like when they're in the car. And so things don't have to be happening off screen, like... Letty convinces Ruby off screen. We don't even know what she said. Ruby dies off screen. We don't even know how that worked out. D gets her arm off screen. D like what like goes insane off screen. Like Tick goes to the future and meets both D and his son off screen. How? That would have been dope to see. But you know, oh no, I liked it. I hope that there's a Lovecraft season two. HBO has neither confirmed nor denied that there will be one. I don't think there's going to be. I don't think there should be. I think it was based off of a book that they took a lot of liberties with, but they told the basic structure of said books, beginning, middle, and end, and there is no second book. Although, you know, when people talk about the literary version, they said, you know, the book was written by a white guy who is a huge H.P. Lovecraft fan and posited the same conceit that the show does, which is racism, bigotry, and oppression are scarier than the monsters in fiction. But the TV show was adapted and created by a black woman, and it is, I think, very apparent. I think she did a overall amazing job. She made us love and hate these characters, although to be fair, Christina wasn't even like full evil until the last 20 minutes of episode 10 which was odd and anyway i like but i think it was apparent that it wasn't a white dude who made this like i really liked there was a part in the finale where it showed as they were leaving chicago that a second black family was moving into that side of chicago that letty was on to show progress it's that kind of stuff that those kind of nuances and details that were really really cool it's just i feel so sad this is just, it, I've spent 20 hours over the last month or two watching two shows that I needed and wanted so badly to be good. And not not good, wanted so badly to be great. 
that's a better way to say it because you know i'm living in a post game of thrones world a post game of thrones seasons one through four i'm just looking for the next show i'm you know i'm living in a post leftovers world a show that i thought was near perfection and i was like why can't every show be this and it's because it's really fucking hard to make shows that are truly great and and by the way there are people who watch leftovers and who don't like it because it's not for everybody and I'm sure there are people who watched the goddamn Lovecraft Country and thought it was a near-perfect show, but I'm just not one of those people, and I don't want to naysay, James. I just wanted to like it. Why mm-hmm. wouldn't they let me like it? Well, do you want a season two? No. You, you said you don't think it's likely? Not you really. Okay. No, I don't. Like, without Ruby, and without Tick is fine, but without Ruby season two, what's it going to be about? Are they going to go 40 years in the future? That is the scenario where I'd be fine with a season two. If we don't even have the characters that we have right now, if we go 40 years in the future, 50 years in the future, and it is a world where every black person is available if it's fucking harry potter but with only black people and all white people don't have like if it's a reverse world where the oppression is only on the white people and d has a robot arm and she figures out that oppression either way it doesn't matter like if the minority becomes the majority if the minority and the non-powerful become the powerful a tipped scale in either direction leads to a stunted humanity like that's some shit I can get down with. So let me now direct. We did this for Raised by Wolves. Let's do it again for Lovecraft Country. An interview with Rolling Stone with Misha Green. So I won't read the whole things, just the ones relevant to the discussions that we've been having. So Rolling Stone asks, why did you decide that this was the place you wanted to end the season? We talked a lot in the room about this idea of walking towards this hero journey story about destiny. You're the one. You're meant to do something. It was very interesting to me and the room, this idea of Atticus knowing that he has to die and making a choice for the greater good. And that was a sacrifice that needed to be made. We just talked about what that sacrifice might be for and that reversing this power structure in the world of magic was very enticing for us. So they were always going to kill off Atticus. That was always part of the plan. But I think you said, Ryan, he dies in the book, too. No, he doesn't die in the book. Oh, he doesn't die. Okay. Well, he dies in the book in in the show. The next question. HBO has yet to order a second season. What are the chances the show will get to continue? Misha Green says, we're in talks with HBO. I just finished the finishing touches of season one three weeks ago. Right? So she only finished editing the show earlier last month. But I'm excited about exploring season two and what we have in mind nothing's official okay so it's up in the air and and i will say the finale had the highest ratings for the whole season so that bodes well i mean there was a sketch on snl Issa ray was hosting and there was an entire sketch of her trying to explain lovecraft country to a group of people who you know it's a tough show to explain Right. To a bunch of normies at a football game. Exactly. That was a night beforehand, (laughs) so I'm sure that pulled some people, but... So they're in talks. That's interesting. So yeah, they're hopeful, and perhaps HBO will give them a bunch of money again. The next question. Killing off your leading man in the finale plays one way if it's a one-season show, and another way if it goes beyond that. Did you have any pause about having Tick die in the event that the show should continue? Misha Green says no. No pause. I think that it's a little evident that I just like the story to move and not be afraid of the possibility that there's always more story to tell. It begins with what Matt Ruff was doing in the novel of reclaiming these genre spaces for people of color. I just feel like it's 20 seasons in my mind. That statement can open up a world and the world that's created in season one can be opened up in so many ways. 
That was one of the things we explored with his idea of going to Korea and understanding that magic isn't just limited to the Book of Names. It's everywhere. It's a thing that's out in the world. Our monsters aren't the only monsters that exist. Hey, well, that's a that's a good point. The, the way that they established it in the show, it feels like you could really kind of go anywhere. It's like the the New England Lovecraft horror is happening parallel to like you know Korea's tradition of folk legends and monsters. It's the only version of the show that I am interested in watching an expanded universe based on season one of Lovecraft Country. Like, if there's an entire second season and the main character is Letty, I would be disappointed. As much as Journey Smollett fucking murdered it, as much as Letitia fucking Lewis was a great character, it's just not the story that I think I'm interested in. Especially as Misha Green just says it right there. We can go anywhere. We can see anything in a world where all white people are now able to be actively oppressed by magic that they themselves can't have there are a lot of interesting things to do there and very little of them are about letty the next year after the events of artem that just occurred in my mind but you know what fuck it maybe they'll prove me wrong so they talk and talk a bit more and this is just part of one of her answers but it's really interesting this is misha green now we learned about watchmen doing tulsa in the writer's room that Ah. became a big discussion that i quelled quickly oh my god i was like Tulsa is not a singular thing. What happened in Tulsa, what happens around America with these terrorist attacks on black communities is a story that can be told multiple times. I wasn't afraid of people going, oh, Watchmen did Tulsa and now Lovecraft is doing Tulsa. Let's compare them. I'm like, great. If that's what you do, fantastic. Because it's a story worth telling over and over again. I think that's the right attitude to have, frankly. Oh, yeah, for sure. If I were her and I got that news, I'd be like... <sighs> I'd be pissed. Yeah, I'd be so pissed. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I would not have a good attitude about it. No, but also I think I would do the same thing she did, which is like, fuck it. We're doing it live. We're doing it anyway. I don't care. Whatever. Fuck, Damon Lindelof can do whatever the hell he wants over there. I had Tulsa set up on my Google alerts for months. All right, so the interview ends up, when Tick gets to see his mother in that magical space in the finale, she tells him that he has inherited both bits of George and Montrose, but she doesn't answer the question of who his biological father is. Do you know? Do you care? Misha Green says, do I know? Laughing. What we talked about is that they don't know. It is that messy. There's no official statement in their minds. Do I know? Yes. But in their minds, they're unsure of who the father really is. I think that's part of what is complicated about it the interviewer follows up with well if this is the end of jonathan major's time on the show was it not important to address that question one last time and misha said oh that's such a weighted question to answer yeah this is a good I'm not answer that one. Oh, that's <laughs> a very jonah and lisa nolan-esque answer there's no fucking way i'm gonna answer that question so far i think that it's a story about family and it's important to explore all those levels that's what was so excited about going into that ancestral plane was being able to see those characters that we've met along the way and talked about yeah dodged that question Mm. deftly yeah i mean i think george (laughs) is his father and i and honestly either way it doesn't it doesn't change my view on any of the characters really or it doesn't make tick a more redeemable character as a whole for me personally who was your favorite character in the show you said ruby was Ruby was my favorite character, Hmm. I think. How about you? I think? I want to say Ruby as well, but I also want to say, like, Hippolyta. A different name? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Hippolyta and Dee are up there. Just because both of their (laughs) vignette episodes were so, so good. I I think, like, I think the strongest moments of the show were 
Hippolyta's whole vignette, Dee's vignette where she's being chased. And by the way, Letty, aka Journey Smollett, back should be in major pain. She needs some icy hot because she's been carrying this show so much. I mean, Jonathan Majors is a great actor, but he can only be angry and or disappointed every goddamn episode while being mean to everyone for so long until you're like, okay, I'm good. But yeah, I guess, yeah, I'll say probably Ruby as well. But a part of me really wants to say D. Just I'm glad she crushed that lady's throat. Again, it was not a perfect show, but hey, what is, if I were going to give the totality of Lovecraft Country season one, I hope season one, a grade, I would give it a very enthusiastic B+. For reference, you gave Raised by Wolves a C+, correct? Raised by Wolves, I gave a C+. Westworld season three, I gave a C-. Watchmen, I gave an A-, and Perry Mason, I gave an A. Because you're a teacher, I think, is why we're doing this, correct? We've been doing it since Westworld Movie Club. Since we were the Westworld podcast. It was not even that long ago. No, it was so recent. We've been doing this (laughs) half a decade about. Anyway, I gave Raised by Wolves, I think, a B-. I don't know. Was anybody listening? Let me know what I gave Raised by Wolves. I give Lovecraft Country a B. I think... It was on the bottom side, 84, uh, 83.5 out of 100. And and, uh, I've already given my list or rank of HBO shows post Game of Thrones. Ah, boy. You know, uh, what are we going to do now, James? We've done a lot of podcasts over the last few months. What, What comes next? What's next up on the HBO docket? So it's The Vow with Nicole Kidman and... Hugh Grant, and I'm not 100% sure how interested I am. Now, I know Major Woody, one of our patrons, go to patreon.com slash hboboys, boys with a Z, really wants us to do his dark materials. I think we should do the pilot at the very least. I think the, the Val already wrapped up, didn't it? Is that I think the not, Val already aired. Is that not the one that's on? Perhaps the Val is with other people. Yeah. What's this one called? With Nicole and... And Hugh, my close, close friends, Nicole and Hugh. The Undoing. Terrible name. Yeah, The Undoing (laughs) is what's next. Okay. That is the new flagship show for HBO. Personally, I would rather give His Dark Materials a shot, even though I watched the pilot way back when and kind of fell asleep during it, but... Well, when when does His Dark Materials debut? Season two, I guess. I don't know. Let me Google. Because the Undoing premieres in three days. (laughs) Uh, It's the next Sunday show, right? His Dark Materials season two airs november 16th 2020 november 16th is a monday they're trying his dark materials on monday huh yeah and and if we do the undoing it would run into his dark materials so we would have to decide one or the other i say why don't we put a poll up on the patreon and our patrons can vote on it what would you rather hear because they're happening at the same time i don't think we can maintain (laughs) this two two shows at the same time model and I, I think some of our fans have already complained that we're too slow getting these out because we're working on two at the same time. And so, yeah, let's. Why don't I think you can put a poll up on Patreon? Let's put a poll. What do you want? Should we do the undoing, or should we take the time between now and November sixteenth to watch his dark materials and then do his dark materials season two? And if you want to participate in that vote, why don't we say what you've got seventy two hours to register as a patron? I know, you know, you've got a full week because we won't record if we decide to do the undoing. We won't record it right away. So you've got one week, guys. If you want to become a patron, you can vote for either the undoing or 
his dark materials. What do you think about that idea, Ryan? I love that idea, James. I just don't want to do them both at the same time. No, for sure, no. <laughs> it's too hard. No, I don't. I don't <laughs> want to do that either. Yeah. So you know, this is a farewell to season one of Lovecraft Country. You've been weird. Perhaps I'll see you down the yeah. line. Meanwhile. We're going to go partially dark next week. Nothing will be coming out in terms of an episode next week, but I would, I'm going to say, I'm going to make this promise now so that I'm binding myself to do it. Uh, on Halloween, you will hear, in honor of this show, Lovecraft Country, a tabletop RPG that I'm going to audio produce to be like a radio drama of the game Call of Cthulhu, starring Ryan his girlfriend Sam and our our Patreon premium guest Adam are all going to come on and we're going to run this very wacky campaign that I've written, which is uh, going to be a parody of one of the famous HBO shows we've covered. Whoop, whoop. Which one? Perry Mason? Well, it's actually a parody of a few put together. I'm drawing on a lot of elements here, guys. It's going to be extremely Baroque. <laughs> very niche so yeah that that's going to be coming on halloween and i think also we will have a something coming out on the patreon one way or the other i think a bonus episode is coming out on the patreon I, i've i've one thing i can put out and then i have another thing which i possibly will be able to put out so yeah something is coming out on the patreon next week yeah for sure i mean we recorded about 10 15 minutes before this podcast started we're gonna try to do that from now on that will be on the patreon oh yeah look at that you get you get extra content per episode if you're on the patreon aside from the bonus episodes we run you get extra commentary isn't that crazy yes it is, James. I'm going to try to do more Hunter Hunter episodes next week as well. They come out on the main channel on Sunday mornings. Yeah, Ryan started Hunter Hunter as a lark, but now he likes it. I do. Isn't that funny? It's great. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Anyway, thank you very much, everybody, for listening to our Lovecraft Country podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Wait, James. Mm-hmm. You know it's also a really important? Yeah. Our patrons, who are these people that I'm going to read right now? Mm-hmm. Anthony Wells, Hardboiled Greg, Nicole, Day 11 Podcast, James, watch my dong. Uh, I watched the whole first season of your dong. Oh, that's nice of you. Your dong, which is the spinoff of the Vietnamese show, My Dong, which I was watching earlier. Mm, that's specific. Cliff Wilding, Hello underscore Yo, Atheist of Unstoppable, Chris Wood, Brinkin, David Lim, Westworld, Craig, Bacaman, John Jers, and Major Woody, plus Carol Andreas. I didn't scroll down and hoped for the best, but I remembered both your names either way. Thank you very much for the dollars. We very much appreciate it. Patreon.com slash HBO Boys, Boys with the Z. Thanks again for listening to Lovecraft Country. You guys are great. <laughs>